Welcome to Digital Health Today, the podcast focused on the leaders, innovators and technologies transforming healthcare today and tomorrow. Find us online at digitalhealthtoday.com. Welcome back to Digital Health Today, the place to be to get the insights of leaders making the healthcare of tomorrow available today. I'm your host, Dan Kendall, and this is season eight of our podcast. We're in episode 76, and in this episode, we're talking again about cancer and the methods being used to detect cancer early. I mean, really early. We just talked about cancer in episode 74 with Eric DeHoos, the CEO of SkinVision. In that episode, we talked about a smartphone app that uses AI to determine the likelihood that a mole or mark on your skin could be malignant. That technology has reviewed millions of images and has helped detect cancer in tens of thousands of people around the world. It's a great solution and it's making a huge impact and it will continue to hold a vital place in our fight against skin cancer. But what about cancers that grow below our skin surface? What tools do we have to detect and fight those cancers that we can't see and that may be developing inside us? Is there a way to detect those cancers even before they form a cluster of cells large enough to be detected through a biopsy or a scan? Well, what if we could enlist the power of our own immune system to create a sort of early warning system that could alert us when cancer cells are present? Well, the good news is that such a technology does exist, and it's being used to detect cancer four years earlier, or sometimes even more, for a wide range of solid tumor types. And all it requires is a simple blood test. Our guest today is going to share how these technologies work and how they're changing the way they think about the progression, detection, and treatment of cancer. With us today to talk about it is Dr. Adam M. Hill. He's the CEO of a leading cancer detection company called Oncommune. It's spelled O-N-C-I-M-M-U-N-E, Oncommune. Adam is both a clinician and a mechanical engineer. He's another engineer and medical doctor combination. We just had Dr. John Moore on from Fitbit in episode 72, and he, he combined those two disciplines as well. Adam has spent his career at the interface of industry, academia, and health systems. Early in his career, he trained in surgery in the British Army, and he also helped a Formula One team become a developer of health technology. Over the last five years, Adam's been an early-stage investor in and advisor to a number of health technology startups, and he's also a visiting professor in global health innovation at Imperial College London. We cover a lot of ground in this episode, and Adam and his team have developed a PDF that contains the key details of what we talk about in this program. So if you're driving or at the gym and you can't jot down any notes, head over to the website and pick those up. You can find them by visiting digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash oncommune. Again, that's O-N-C-I-M-M-U-N-E. Now let's tune into the conversation with Dr. Adam Hill. Adam, thanks for joining me and welcome to the program. Thanks, and um, it's a pleasure to be here, Dan. Adam, we were introduced earlier in the year by Dr. Tom Hart. He's the co-founder of MyRecovery.ai. That's a great solution that's helping patients recover from orthopedic surgery. And I was really impressed by the work he's doing there. And when he told me then about the work you're doing at Oncommune, I knew I wanted to have you come on and learn more about it and share it with our Digital Health Today community. We always like to start with an understanding of the problem here. And today we're talking about cancer. Can you start off by giving us a short Cancer 101 on the biology and lay the foundation for the technology that we're going to dive into? Sure. And look, Dan, it's a real pleasure to be here. And um, I'm really grateful to Tom for making the introduction. Cancer um, is uh, is pervasive. It's um, a disease that occurs through the natural history of cell division. Um, cells are dividing um, all of the time as we sit here talking to one another. There are tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of cellular divisions going on in our our body, maybe two trillion cellular divisions a day. 
um, in each one of us. Um, and those divisions look to replicate form and function um, of one cell um, into, into another. So as a function of the huge number of divisions that cells undergo each day, it's not surprising that occasionally cellular division goes wrong. Um, and it goes wrong by not replicating the code, the genetic code um, that encodes that form and function. Um, uh, from one cell, one cell to the next. When that genetic code um, becomes mutant, um, it may indeed take on other forms and functions that are less than adequate for the performance of daily functions. And that mutant cluster of cells can start to take on a, a life of its own, a life of its own um, that we have come to understand as being cancerous. Now, the disease in its, in its own right takes time to establish because, of course, our bodies are incredibly good at managing the tens or hundreds of mutant um, divisions that take place every day as a result of um, uh, the, the two trillion divisions that we, we undergo on a daily, a daily basis. Our immune system is responsible for that that check rein um, uh, upon cellular division, identifying those cells that aren't able to perform the, the function that we had originally intended, um, and instead making sure that those cells die off um, without causing harm to the body. So cancer, whilst traditionally understood to be a aberration or a mutant process, um, of cellular division and increasingly is understood as a failure of the immune system to identify those cells that have become cancerous and to push them into early cell death. And of course, we're familiar with the various ways that cancer is detected now through blood tests, scans and biopsies, but all of those require that the cancer has developed to a significant extent, right? Yeah, typically um, you need a critical mass of cells to start to detect cancer. The standard of care um, would see cancer being maybe detected in the first instance on an image. And imaging is and has advanced tremendously over the last two or three decades, but still would struggle to identify a critical mass of cells any smaller than maybe um, one or two millimeters in diameter, maybe a couple of tens of thousands of cells. And indeed, if you can't image it, um, it's very difficult to then biopsy it uh, in order to achieve that definitive diagnosis. So over the last four, five, six years, maybe, there has been a very significant movement um, towards identifying, being able to identify cancer and prior to the point at which um, cancers can be identified on imaging through an analysis of your blood. The term liquid biopsy has been coined to capture just that concept. But it's actually not detecting the cancer cells. It's actually detecting the body's immune response to it, right? Well, there's a number of different approaches. Um, certainly, those approaches that um, detect the immune response, such as such as ours, 
would be able to identify the first cancerous cell um, because your immune system um, picks up upon a cancer protein on the surface of a mutant, a mutant cell and in response generates a huge number of autoantibodies, antibodies against your own cells um, in order to push that cell into early cell death as we described earlier. If, if you are looking to measure cancer cells in the blood or fragments of cells such as the cancer DNA, then it's less likely that you are able to identify the first, second, tenth, or maybe even hundredth um, cancerous cell and would have to wait for a critical mass of cells to have been developed. So if you can do that, if you can pick up a biomarker for an antigen-triggered immune response, what, what impact is that going to have on early detection and the cancer care pathways that exist today? Yeah, it's a great question. Because of course, today, still 30 or 40% of cancers are captured in the very late stages of the disease. Cancer is typically graded or staged from one to four, one being the very earliest signs of cancer, and four being um, a disease that's well-established and has metastasized um, and often has very few treatment options remaining. The survival is very much dictated by the stage at which the cancer is diagnosed. At stage one, it's very typical to have a five-year survival, so surviving for five or more years um, after your diagnosis of an excess of 90%, whereas diagnosis at stage four typically has five-year survival of less than 20%, depending upon the cancer and that has been diagnosed. And so early detection is fundamental and critical to improving survival from a cancer diagnosis. And how does it do that? Well, what it does is it, it presents not only uh, an, an early opportunity for intervention, but equally opens up all of the therapeutic options that we have today. And, and we have a significant armory of therapeutic options available. If you unfortunately are diagnosed later, there are fewer options available to you. I mean, you're really talking about rethinking the whole way we classify and approach cancer. And I've heard this called, this sort of early detection called pre-vivorship, actually surviving cancer before you actually have any traditional uh, manifestation of the disease, or also putting it in as a, a stage zero cancer. So even, even before uh, the, the current stage one. But that's going to require a radical rethink to the way we screen and diagnose, right? Absolutely. The paradigm is changing and it's changing rapidly. There is a, a huge movement now in cancer medicine to identify cancerous cells as early as you possibly can to improve the efficacy and the effectiveness of the therapies that we have available to us um, in order to increase survivorship. But as you quite rightly point to, it does start to challenge our definition of, of cancer, a definition that typically has been based upon a biopsy and what a pathologist looks at under a, under a slide. But as we discussed earlier, that's, whilst not a late stage event, certainly is not the earliest event that we now are able to measure. 
So this ability to measure well in advance of um, the, uh, the first presentation of cancer, maybe to a clinician 10 years ago, um, uh, is certainly going to redefine the field of cancer medicine um, and the opportunity for us to, to survive cancer or indeed live long and healthy lives with cancer. I should mention now that you've put together a document for listeners so they have a reference for all this information that you're sharing. We have that available on our website in the show notes for this episode. You can find that by heading over to digitalhealthtoday.com slash Oncommune. That's O-N-C-I-M-M-U-N-E, Oncommune, the name of the company that Adam is the CEO for, and digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash Oncommune. You can get notes that were of this whole conversation. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about how this science has been translated into a solution that's available today, and we discuss some of the research and work that's being done to make this type of technology available to more people around the world. We'll do that right after a word from our sponsor. Stick around. You won't want to miss it. Okay, we're back and we're speaking with Dr. Adam Hill, CEO of Oncommune, about novel techniques to detect cancer early. Adam, you've given us a great understanding of the science and how cancer antibodies can be detected earlier. When I first learned about the work that you're doing at Oncommune, I was imagining that you were still very much in the R&D phase. And you've actually got a product that's available on the market. And I want to understand how can this science, how has this science been translated into a solution that's actually on the market today? Sure. Um, the, the science has been translated. We launched our first product in 2012. Um, it's called Early Cancer Detection Test Lung. Um, and that is in now 14 geographies around, around the world. Um, and the, the use of the test is very simple. You turn up to your primary care physician or your pulmonologist. And should there be a concern uh, that you have cancer and you, that you are of a high risk for lung cancer based upon your age and maybe your smoking history and family history, um, then the use of the test can support the clinician in making an appropriate decision about your onward, onward management. The test is very simple. It's a blood test, a blood draw, or a finger prick, a finger prick with a blood spot onto a card, or a blood drawer into a into a tube, which is then sent to a laboratory. 24 hours later, you receive the results. The blood, um, once drawn, would be assessed against seven autoantibodies. Um, autoantibodies against these seven tumor-associated antigens or immunogenic proteins that cancer cells typically um, present um, if you have lung cancer. And if any one of those or more um, show an increase in signal, um, then it would give us reason to believe that further diagnostic workup is required by your clinician. And certainly that would be the result that we'd be providing back to them. We've now delivered um, more than 200,000 tests into the market and are having an impact upon people's lives. So you've got the early CDT lung test that was launched in 2012, over 200,000 of those tests being uh, sold in 14 geographies around the world. You also have an early CDT liver test. What can you tell us about that one and other tests that you have upcoming? 
Sure. So we launched early CDT liver in May 2018 um, and started it um, on the path to developing the comparative and clinical evidence required in, in order to support its, its adoption um, in the market very much in the same way that we've, we've done with our, our lung panel. In addition, we have other panels in development today. We have very good proof of concept data on a number of diseases, including ovarian, prostate, and breast, and many others. Do you envision that this technology is going to stand alone in early cancer detection, or does it need to work alongside and be coupled with other technologies? Five years ago, it was clear that very few people had con- had conceived of or considered in vitro diagnostics working in combination. And as such, the market was focused on developing panels that would support clinicians making critical decisions as a standalone product. Increasingly, there's evidence and um, good examples of in vitro diagnostics combining with other in vitro diagnostics or in vitro diagnostics combining with imaging forms of diagnosis in order to present a combined performance um, or a combined test performance to a to a clinician. The idea being that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Now, what's the difference between um, two independent tests being used by a clinician and and maybe those two independent tests combining um, and presenting performance to a clinician? Well, fundamentally, it's about proof. If two independent tests, both supporting the diagnosis or a decision in a cancer care pathway are used by a clinician, that that clinician would be considering the performance, independent performance of two two tests um, that has been supported by a case control study. If, however, as is becoming increasingly common today, those two tests were to combine and perform the case control study before presenting a combined performance to the clinician, the ability for the clinician to both act upon and belief in the result of that test is significantly higher. We've seen some high-profile cancer deaths recently. Two notable ones are from the world of politics, with Dame Tessa Jowell in the UK, who is an MP in Parliament, and Senator John McCain, uh, who is a longstanding uh, senator and uh, and military officer. Uh, cancer has t- touched everyone in some way, and there's a lot of research being done and investment being done by health systems in detection and treatment. Are there other notable changes happening that you're seeing that indicate we're making significant progress against this disease? I, earlier this week, had the great pleasure of listening to Vice President Joe Biden talk about um, his family's experience of cancer um, and that that um, experience is not too dissimilar to many others that have been touched by cancer. So it very much it very much affects affects us all and will continue to affect us affect us all. But what he highlighted um, as he spoke so eloquently um, to to an audience is that the speed of progress over the last decade in cancer um, has been has been dramatic. It was only eight or nine years ago that immunotherapies were seen as 
peripheral to the the therapeutic paradigm used in cancer and and maybe even disbelieved by the medical medical fraternity and today eight or nine years later um, we are um, congratulating those that have recently won the Nobel Prize um, for for medicine and also for chemistry for their advances in the field of field of oncology that we recognize to now be now be mainstream so over such a short period of time we're making such significant um, leaps leaps forward um, that I believe the next decade is going to see us accelerate accelerate even faster and go even further. Well, I applaud your work and the mission that you described. We both have young children and to see the work that you're doing to try to eradicate this disease or, and give that generation and hopefully earlier generations uh, the opportunity to detect, treat and beat cancer is really admirable. And I want to see your continued success as you lead Oncommune into the future and develop more of these tests. I appreciate you coming on the show and, and sharing your story and your work with us, Adam. Thank you very much for your time, Dan. You've been listening to Dr. Adam Hill, the CEO of Oncommune. When we spoke, Adam also mentioned that he's interested in hearing from partners and others interested in this space. You can contact him directly on email at adam.hill at oncommune.com. You won't find that email on the website. That's just for our listeners. But Adam is happy for us to share it here for anyone who'd like to get in touch about their work at Oncommune. Now, in case you're wondering, you can find Adam's answers to the six lightning round questions on our website, as well as the PDF that Adam and his team prepared about our discussion. Pick that up by visiting digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash Oncommune, O-N-C-I-M-M-U-N-E. Adam selected Cancer Research UK as his nominated charity, so we've made a gift to that organization in appreciation of Adam taking his time to participate here on the show. Also, while you're there on the website, you can subscribe to our newsletter and find the links to subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast app. Again, that URL is digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash Oncommune. You know, we really love producing this show and serving this global audience of health innovators, and I really appreciate the wonderful response we get from you, the digital health community. If you enjoy this program, there are a few different ways that you can show your support for what we're doing here. And if you can do this, it really does mean a lot. First of all, you can share our program with your friends and colleagues by email or on social media. We get a lot of new listeners through referrals, so that really helps to get people engaged with this show. Another way is to leave a review on iTunes, and now if you're in the U.S., you can also do it on Google Podcasts. We have a good number of reviews in the U.S. iTunes store and a few other countries, but we'd love to have more. It's really easy to do. Just scroll down in your podcast app and tap a star rating. We love the five-star reviews, obviously, and you can also leave a comment if you like. And lastly, I always love to hear from you directly, and perhaps we can even set up a time to connect. Take a minute to email me at dan at digitalhealthtoday.com or send a direct message to the show on Twitter at dhealthtoday. Thank you for tuning in and for being an important part of this program. We have more great guests to bring you in this season, season eight, and season nine is going to be a great one too. We'll pick that one up in the new year. We also have some other big announcements coming up that I can't wait to share with you. That wraps up this episode, episode number 76, and I'll speak with you soon in episode 77. Until next time, keep on innovating.